we go. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice real quick. When I was in school, we had to raise our hand. Y'all still have to do that? Raise your hand, get, you know, so you can, okay, I see hands going up in there. Okay. So if you have a question, let's all pretend that we've got a question and we want to ask the teacher. Everybody raise your hand. You got a question. Everybody, everybody, come on, everybody play with me this morning. You got your hand up, okay? Baptist, this is what it feels like to raise your hand in church. Now, guys, now guys, I understand I was raised Southern Baptist, and sometimes my hands get about right here, and, it, and, it, and that voice in the back of my head goes, your mama is going to thump your noggin. You better get your hand down. Listen, it's okay. Now, standing up and doing, and, and we, you know, I don't know about that yet, but if you feel like when somebody's singing a song, if something's moving your spirit and you just feel your hand going up, don't fight it. Let it go on. We look silly, guys, when we go. Yeah, we really do. Just let it fly. It'll be all right. We won't be Pentecostal, and I don't think we'll die. I do consider myself just to be an average kind of guy. I really do. I look in the mirror sometimes and think I'm slightly above average, and I look in the mirror sometimes and think that I'm desperately below average, but I think on average, I am average. And as an average guy, that means that I walk on average 2.35 miles every day. Now, you're thinking to yourself, I have an office job. Well, now we're talking on average. We walk 2.35 miles a day. Some days I walk a whole lot further. Some days I walk a whole lot less. But on average, 2.35 miles per day. Now, if you take 2.35 miles and multiply it times 365 days in a year, and I didn't add leap year in because that's too much math and I didn't want to bother. So you take 2.35, you multiply it times 365, year, uh, 365 days in a year, and you multiply that by my age, that means I have walked 50,607 miles. That is twice around the earth at the equator. 50,000 miles. No wonder I'm tired. That's right. You know how all that got started? Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Daddy was in the, was in the Army. And uh, we lived in a little uh, two-room house. Uh, actually, it was three rooms because Mom couldn't stand only have two rooms, so she strung a string up across the living room and hung a quilt over it. So now she had three rooms in her house and uh, in that little house they had a little baby hard to believe that there was a time that I was a little bitty tiny guy but they had this little baby named Randy and Barbara Darnell got down on her knees in that little two room house and Randy, that little bitty Randy stood up and you know how kids do, you know, wobbled around a bit and without knowing what he was doing, he was making calculations in his mind of what it's going to take to take the next step, to make that first step that I've ever made. And without knowing what he was doing, because it's the first time that he had gotten ready, you know, I think I can do this, I think I can do this, he gets his courage together, not knowing that little new brain has no clue that's what he's doing, gets his courage together and he takes the first step and probably then fell on my rear end. And mama, oh, Randy, whoa, 
was 50,000 miles ago. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. All of that applies to our spiritual life, don't it? Does anybody really know when you're born and you take that first step, does anybody really know where life's going to take them? Really? Do you know? Here's Joshua. We've talked about him from three, for three weeks. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Joshua, when we read this scripture, we read it like a novel. You know, it's one sentence after next. It's a story. So we read it like a novel, and we think that God did this, and God did this, and God said that, and God did this, and this is the way it all worked out, when actually maybe it didn't occur quite that way. Do you think maybe, just possibly, that God spoke to Joshua over a period of days you know, he says three times, remember we've read this, he says three times to be courageous, three times to make up your mind and be brave and be bold. Three times he tells him that, and we think that he said it back to back to back. Maybe he didn't do it that way. Maybe that's not the way that occurred. Maybe what happened was this. If God works with Joshua like he does with me sometimes, he makes me restless. I bet some of you men can relate to that. You can't sit still. There's just something. And you think because you're a man, that means you should be doing something out in the yard or in the garage or with a lot. There's some, you're supposed to be doing something. You can't sit still. God does that with me. Maybe God did that with Joshua. So Joshua leaves his tent because he's got to walk and find out where he needs to be because he's restless. Walks through the camp, he smells the campfires burning. He smells meat cooking over campfires. He smells bread. He sees women heating up water so they can wash their clothes. And he walks all the way through the camp until he gets to the edge of the Jordan River and he stops there. And as he stands overlooking the Jordan River all by himself, he hears in his heart God saying, Joshua, I've picked you, dude. You're going to cross the Jordan River with all these people, and I'm going to give you all this land, and we're going to do all this thing. And Joshua stands there on the edge of the Jordan River, scared to death to take the step. You have got to be kidding me, God. Where's this going to take us? What are we going to do? How is this thing going to end, Lord? Am I going to be killed? Are we going to attack somebody and I have to watch my wife and my children be killed before my very eyes? Am I going to watch my wife being carried off into captivity and my little children carried off to be slaves for these people and then I'm going to be killed? What is it that's going to happen here, Lord? What am I going to do? What do you think I'm supposed to do here? And God says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Joshua walks back to his tent. Day passes. 
Next day he wakes up, restless again, walks through the camp, smells the same smells, hears the same children play. People watch him, though, as he goes. What's going on with Joshua? You know, he did this yesterday. Now he's, he's doing this again. What's going on with Joshua? He walks all the way, all the way to the Jordan River. And he stands overlooking the Jordan, and God says, only be strong and very courageous. And then God tells Joshua, you've got to work hard to follow the laws. And if you do, Joshua, you're going to have good success. And Joshua thinks to himself, just like we do. I have screwed up before. I'm going to screw up again. Standing there on the bank of the river. Walks back to his tent. Goes to bed. Gets up the next day. Today, though, he's got a different spirit about him. We've all done this. I'm ready. I'm ready. I got it. I'm your man now. I understand. This thing's under control. Strong and courageous. I'm the man. Cam Newton. Superman. Here we go. I hope he loses so bad. <laughs> anyway. So he goes marching this time out to the Jordan River, making step after step, deliberately walking. Everybody's watching him as he walks out of camp this time. He walks right up to the edge of the Jordan River, and he stops and he looks, and he sees the Jordan River flooding. And you know how flooded rivers go? He sees tree limbs being washed down, and he sees trees being washed down, and he sees the rapids in the water, and he sees and hears all this noise that's so loud that he can barely even hear his, own, hear his own thoughts. And then he looks out over into the distance and maybe, I don't know how far it is, but maybe way in the distance he sees the smoke coming from the people of Jericho that are building, building their own fires to cook their own meals, to live their own lives. And he knows that spies went out from his group and went there and were it not for a prostitute, they would all be dead. And now he's standing there on the side of this river and all of a sudden he's quivering. And it's not because he's cold, it's because he's scared to death. He's terrified. He cries out in anguish. You've done this. I've done this. This is impossible. How is this happening to me? How did this get, how did I let my life get here? This is crazy. And then his heart, he hears these words. Have I not commanded you? It's not a rebuke. It's an assurance. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Literally means stop trembling. It's one of the literal translations of that word. Stop trembling. Do not be dismayed literally means do not be shattered. Do not be broken. Then he says, there's no need for you to tremble. 
And there's no need for you to be broken. Because I am going to be with you every step of the way. And in that moment, Joshua said, I'll follow you. Now, Randy, how do you know that? The text doesn't say that. No, this is what the text says. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you're to pass over this Jordan to go to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. He went back and he did what God had told him to do. It's not your words, right? It's your actions. He did what he was commanded. He had no clue what this promised land thing was going to end up for him personally. He didn't know where this thing was going to end for him and his family. But he knew this much. I don't know where I'm going. But wherever you are, Lord, is where I want to be. And he went on. I don't know where I'm going. But I want to go there with you. This is the faith that God is calling you to have. This is the faith that God's calling me to have. Not a lot of faith. Not a lot of faith to raise the dead, to cast out demons. We can get to all of that stuff. He'll take us wherever he wants us to go. He wants enough faith that says, here's the deal. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. That's what we're going to do. All of this is down here because we had a 24-hour prayer vigil the other night. Uh, started on Thursday night. There was a gaping hole from 1.30 until 3 o'clock in the morning. And so in the middle of the day when I'm well rested, I think that's just a Jim Dandy idea to sign up to pray from 1.30 to 3 o'clock in the morning. So at 1.30 in the morning, I show up here at the church to pray. I came into the sanctuary and... My brother David Snow was sitting in a chair. It was weird. I don't know David that good. I know him. We've been around each other, but it's not like he and I have partied together or anything. But in that moment, that man felt more special to me than any man on the face of this planet. We hugged. Me and David. And he left, and then I was here by myself. And I got restless. I came with my Peshitta. Peshitta is a version of the Bible that's supposedly translated from the Aramaic. Makes me sound all, you know, smart and wise and stuff, but what happened is somebody gave me a copy of it, and it just happens to be the time for me to read it. That's the way I look at this thing. I like to read different translations. It gives you a little different flavor, you know, of, of how the word is turned. Because we take things to mean one thing when really, like a minute ago, he says, don't be frightened. He says, stop trembling. And if you've ever seen anybody that's really, really scared, what do they do? They tremble. I've trembled before. So anyway, I've got my Peshitta, and I've got my book that I read every day for my devotion. And I've got, my, um, uh, I've got my prayer list with me, and I'm ready to go. I am armed and dangerous. I'm going to sit down. I've got an hour and a half that I think I'm going to have to fill up. And I open the Bible, and that's as far as I got. 
as a blank whiteboard. My mind is never blank. It talks to me all the time. Nothing there. I sit in this chair, and I lean back, and I look at the rafters, and I sit very quietly, and then I get restless. So I go over here and pray, because for some reason that was a special place. Then I went and prayed over here. Then I went and prayed over here. And I came back and sat down in my chair. And the scripture that I had opened my Bible to is not where I went. I ended up going to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, there were two sentences out of that whole page that jumped off that page at me. And the two sentences were this. Paul speaking now, he's writing, the, he's writing the letter to the church of Philippi. And he says, But I am striving that I may reach that for which Jesus Christ appointed me. And he says, I strive for those things which are before me. And it dawned on me when I read that, that Paul had no clue where God was taking him. Paul, the great Paul, great apostle that we think that if we would have a Damascus Road experience like Paul did, we would know what we are supposed to do. We would know the will of God line by line, bullet point by bullet point. We could sit down today and make out our itinerary. Let me read you something Paul said in the Bible. Paul said, if I can find it, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. We have no evidence that Paul ever made it to Spain. Now, you can go on the internet and you start looking at all the scholars and Clement, St. Clement or something or other mentions Paul preaching from here to there and somebody else says, we have no account that somebody can say for sure that Paul ever made it to Spain. In fact, he told them that he wanted to go to Rome to be able to preach to them. He never got to make that itinerary. Well, Randy, Paul went to Rome. Yeah, he went to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. He went to Rome as a prisoner, not as a tourist. He waited in Rome for two years, wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, and then, if tradition is correct, he lost his head when Nero had him executed. That didn't end up right, did it? Paul had no but Paul said, I don't know where I'm going, but I want to go there with you. I don't know where I'm going, but I want to go there with you. I am very sadly amused by people who have Jesus all figured out. They all know how to act. They know what to say. They know where they're going. They got Jesus all wrapped up. They know how you're supposed to act. They know that in a Southern Baptist church, that if you raise your hand, you probably should be Pentecostal and you shouldn't be Southern Baptist. They know. They know if they go somewhere and catch you having a glass of wine for dinner, that you're going to die and go to hell because the Bible says don't drink. Well, no, the Bible don't say that. It says don't get drunk. It's not a license for you young people to go out and drink. Thank you very much. Have a good day.
They got it all wrapped up. They know how this thing's supposed to work. And yet God impresses on us, I am not going to tell you where you're going. Tell me if I am wrong. It is my experience that life is a series of curveballs that come at you one right after another, right after another, right after another. About the time you're going to think you're going to get a fastball right across the plate, the doggone thing breaks down right as it gets to you and you swing right over the top of it. That's the way life is. You may work all of your life to retire with enough money to buy a motorhome so you and your bride can go see the United States. You've always wanted to do that. And on the day of your retirement, your bride is diagnosed with brain cancer. That was my uncle's life. Or maybe you're the girl that's fallen in love with this little guy and he's the one and you know he's the one and and y'all do things that you're only going to do with your married spouse and then you find out that you're not the only one. There's another one and you're crushed. Or you're the guy like I was when I was in middle school that I just, this little girl that I had this biggest crush on in the whole wide world. She was the cutest little girl I'd ever seen. Middle school, what was I about? Well, I don't know how, what age that was. It's about the ninth grade. And she comes up one day and tells me that her daddy is being transferred to Tennessee and they're moving. And my little heart was broken. How is that possible? Or you're a victim of crime. Or your child is born different. Or you get old. One curveball after another. Life, you can write this one down, this is profound. Life with Jesus isn't a different life. Life with Jesus is simply different. Because he makes you different. Because he makes you brand new. If you don't trust Christ, if you've never trusted him as your Savior, that's the difference between me and you. We're going to live the same life. We're going to have the same car wrecks. We're going to have the same washing machines break down and flood the kitchens. Our loved ones are going to grow old and they are going to die. We will all have to stand, the majority of us, by our moms and dads as they breathe their last breath. A few of us have to bury our children. What makes us different? Jesus came into my life, took the old me, buried him in a grave, put a new me inside me, which is him living in my mind, in my heart. And he said, get up. It's time to go. And I said, Lord, where am I going? I'll show you. But where am I going, Lord? Away.
what's it going to be like when I get there? I'll let you know. I'm not sure about this, Lord. I'm not asking you to be sure, Randy. I'm just asking you to come on. Get up. Let's go. Some of you have been struggling with this forever. Your little Randy, teetering back and forth, trying to decide if you're going to take the first step. Take the step. Take the step. Father, all kinds of things in the sanctuary this morning. Folks wishing we were gone. Folks wishing that it would never end. I want to ask you to trust Jesus. Not a whole lot else for me to say. Trust Jesus. If you're struggling, if you have something inside of you that's saying, ah, you need to do something. Well, that, that's him telling you. He's knocking at the door, banging at it. Come on. Trust Jesus. Have the courage. Take a step. Come down the aisle. Tell me you trust him make a little different invitation this morning. If you're coming to First Baptist and you feel him moving in your heart saying this is home, take the step and come on, make it home. Let's get this thing going. If you're living your life and you're, you're saved, you're a sinner saved by grace, but you're missing something, it's, it's you taking a step and telling him I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I've talked enough. We're going to sing. You got three minutes. If you can endure three minutes, you can leave and go home and everything will be fine. But I hope that God crushes you this morning.